There are two kinds of people in the insurance industry. Those who are captive and those who are free. This is the Agency Freedom Podcast. Captivity can go far beyond the companies you represent. It starts between your ears and its impact is felt in every corner of your business. We're all about helping agency principals and sales professionals reach your maximum potential and flex your freedom. If your goals are big enough, you're going to have to get uncomfortable to be able to reach them. Our team at RiskWell is living this out every single day. This show is where I share our successes, our failures, and everything I learn along the way. We deliver relevant, tactical, and actionable content from industry peers, innovative partners, and a variety of leaders from other business verticals. We're not holding anything back. There's no upsell, no guru pitch, and no fluff. It's time to unshackle yourself from captivity and make your freedom jump with the Agency Freedom Podcast. Let's go. What's up, Freedom Jumpers? Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Agency Freedom Podcast. I got a special treat for you this time. We don't have an interview guest. We have a legitimate co-host. He is... Definitely able to carry the load in his own way. Uh, we we had the privilege several weeks ago of having Ciara Gravier as uh, our first ever co-host. Gosh, that was back in January. Now that I think about it, so it was like six months ago. It's not a few weeks ago. It's been it's been a minute. Uh, Mister Tamron Manning, and remind me where you're from, dude. I know you're from somewhere in in the South. I just can't remember if it's like you know Tennessee Kentucky. or South Carolina, Kentucky, somewhere in there. The great state of Kentucky. The bluegrass state itself. Awesome. Thoroughbreds. Yeah. Now, you haven't been on as a guest, dude, but you have a lot to contribute. I like your content on LinkedIn. Uh, you you contribute in a, a regular and uh, meaningful way in IAOA. And it was just like, you know, it's been a minute since I've had a co-host. And you and I come from different perspective. You were an all-state captive agent before i was farmers before you've been in the ia world for a little less than a year i've been doing it for about three and a half you're a solo operator uh we're in the middle of building a team we just hired full-time team member number nine so it's like you and me together we've got a whole lot of really interesting back and forth here to get into so thanks for uh, making time and giving us an hour of your day to come on and just chop it up and talk shop with me man Man, I really appreciate you having me, man. I want to be, before we get started, I do want to say this. You uh, were a huge help into me even coming into the um, independent space due to like those first four episodes of your podcast might be for all like the podcast hosts that we have in our industry, which we have some great ones. But those four episodes that you recorded um, like really launched me into I guess I could say my freedom jump just because you were super like tactical about what you were talking about. So I wanted to just give you kudos at the beginning Thanks, uh, before we get into uh, talk a little bit, man, because that was huge for me. And I'm sure it's helped some well, of other agents. I mean, real talk, guys like you, gals like you that are looking for something different, for something better. That's the whole reason this podcast exists. Part of the intrigue, part of the attraction for me to bring you on as a co-host is you're, I'm not taking credit for anything you've done. It's all you. But I see Tamara Manning as one of our success stories as a podcast because I know that's part of your story. And it's incredibly humbling to be able to 
you know, help speak into you and, and, you know, just be a, a very small part of your journey. Uh, honestly, it makes me feel really good inside to know that, you know, this, this work, this, it's kind of a passion project, right? I'm not making a penny yeah. off of this podcast. Just knowing that it's having real impact. I mean, that makes every bit of it worth it. So I really appreciate your kind words there, dude. Uh, you know, For hearing sure. that Definitely just once every again. six months makes the whole thing worth it. Right. <laughs> so, well, awesome. Hey, why don't you give folks some backstory on you? I don't mean to steal your thunder with telling part of your story and that you're former Allstate. Uh, why don't you give folks the, uh, the, the intro and then um, I'm going to get us started with a couple of open-ended questions and we'll just get into it. Yes, sir, man. So for me, um, like you said, I'm from Kentucky. I'm from Georgetown, Kentucky, to be exact, which is really close to Lexington uh, for any basketball fans. Mm -hmm. Big Blue. Right there. Right there um, in that area. Um, I am a basketball player by trade, I would say. I played basketball my whole life. Uh, I was a professional basketball player for a couple of years. I played in Ireland. the most. It was a great experience in Dublin, Ireland. Uh, and now I'm in the insurance world. I know that's a big jump from basketball to insurance, but we'll skip over to me being in the insurance world. Yep. And man, I am loving every second of it, man. It's a great, great industry. Uh, I made a post on LinkedIn today, actually, about wanting more younger people to kind of get into this industry or learn more about it, man, because it's, it's such a good one. But that's a quick 30,000 foot view on how I got here and where I come from a little bit. Now, I'm going to pivot real quick because you touched on a subject that it was actually a topic of conversation in my office. But one of my producers, uh, we, we were talking about this during one of our walks. We we walk around our condo association complex a couple times a day. <laughs> and, you know, one of the State Farm agents locally that we've met, and we partner with a lot of State Farm agents, uh, getting referrals from them placing stuff that's outside of their appetite or, you know, pricing concerns or whatever. And Jonathan was like, what is it about college athletes that makes them excellent profiles for insurance agents? It's like, if you're a a good college athlete and you went beyond college and played pro, uh, you know, international pro, which is really cool. I'm going to have to ask you a couple of questions about that. I somehow missed that part of your story. But from your perspective, as a successful, uh, you know, long-term athlete, what is it about that profile that makes so many college athletes and former professional athletes really good at the insurance and even financial services and related industries uh, that are, you know, similar skill set? What's your take on that? Man, that's a great question. But I would... um I would honestly say just the the environment. I mean, like the sales, we'll call it the sales game, right? The sales mm-hmm. game, it's so equivalent to sports and like a team sport. And I think it's a lot to do with how competitive it is and the amount of effort you have to put in to get something out of it. So basketball, for example. So like if you want to be a great shooter, you're going to have to go to the gym either before practice or after practice or on and off day and get up extra shots. You're going to have to do stuff that makes you better behind the scenes that people who watch you play don't know that you do. So with sales, if you're not role playing or getting better every day or doing stuff, learning about the industry that you're in, that you're selling with, um, you're not going to get any better. So I think it's just that constant trying to get better, trying to hit goals and you get out what you put in is the, the biggest thing. That's, 
basketball, any sport to a T, I'm trying to pick up golf right now. And if I don't play enough, then yeah. I'm not going to be super good. You, you get out literally what you put in and you're able to like have unlimited earning potential. So to hear that as an already competitive person, it's just like a seamless marriage to me. You know, I think you said it right there. You're already a competitive person. You know, if you make it to the ranks of a college athlete, if you make it beyond that, I get to play professionally. You are already accustomed to the competition. You thrive in going toe to toe with somebody and breaking them down and saying, I'm driving to the hoop and you can't stop me. Exactly. Yeah. So the other part, I think that I'd love to hear your, your take on this is, is patience and waiting for the right opportunity, being tactical to use one of your words. And I like that word too, uh, being <laughs> tactical and intentional and thoughtful about the way that you deploy your effort, your energy. Uh, I think patience as an athlete, you know, for a baseball player waiting for the right pitch, you know, for, for a basketball player waiting for the guard to come set the screen before you go right. It's like, you gotta wait for that right moment to strike and you know a patient player in the insurance world is definitely going to be more successful i think you know waiting for buying signals from the prospect to tell you the right thing in the conversation so you can pivot to one of your talking points but only when the conversation naturally goes there like if you force it it ain't gonna work the same way so what do you think about patience and the overlap with the whole athlete and insurance agent thing I think I mean, I think that's another good point that I haven't even really uh, moved to yet. I think that's a really good point that you made. But patience and also I guess you can kind of mix patience in with kind of like a delayed gratification almost. Mm -hmm. Just because I mean, like I said, if if you're working on a skill, you're not going to see immediate return on what you worked on the next day. Like it's going to be something like gradually that you see. And I think sales relates to that. Like if I call you. That is like the beginning stage of a sales cycle. It's not, I may call you and sell you that same day, but most likely it's going to take a few touches. And I know there's like statistics on how many touches it takes, but that patience and that being able to just say, you know what, I'm planting my seed now. I'm getting in the gym now, shooting extra free throws. And maybe in the championship game, I get fouled and I need to make two free throws. But all that work I was doing has led me to, I'm ready for this moment and I'm going to go ahead and make these two free throws just like I've been practicing for the last two years, getting extra free throws. It could be for this reason. I may have never been in this position if I didn't work all that time to get here. So I think it's just like kind of delayed gratification, which a lot of people are missing uh, nowadays. I know people say, but delayed gratification and patience uh, for me are two things that you get as an athlete as well that I didn't even really think of until you mentioned it. Man, I I don't know how your coaches have been over the years, but uh, I I played uh, junior college ball. I was I was homeschooled K through 12, so I never got to play high school ball. But I tore my ACL in JUCO ball and never made it any further than that. But I definitely have a love of the game as well. And, you know, just as a quick aside, all the way back to (laughs) my first coaches, even on like City League team, the the free throws have always been such a, a huge part. As a basketball fan, like watching the the NCAA tournament, there's nothing worse than somebody getting up to the line in crunch time and bricking a free throw. And just like, <laughs> God, there's literally <laughs> nobody in your face. It, you were exposed as someone who didn't put enough practice in at the free throw line. 
It's like, yeah, yeah you're not going to make 100%, but if you're not making at least, you know, 80%, then, well, you're only got yourself to blame, you know? Yeah. It's on you. It's nobody else when you get up there. And I think, yeah, sales is the same way. It's, it's like, oh, oh, you're exposed. You didn't practice enough. <laughs> it's like when, it's a, when a client asks you a question about a policy and you have no idea and you have to say, oh, you know, that's a good question. I'm going to go look it up. And then you go dig in the policy form and find the answer to the question you, you know, couldn't answer in the moment. It's like, well, you uh, should have prepared better. No, man. <laughs> preparation, man. Proper no, preparation. I'm telling you. So you've been doing this for what, 10 months now, 11 months, and yeah. you were all state before. We can talk about the freedom jump if you want to. I'd love to hear your take on that. Uh, I don't yeah, know what sure. it is about all state and farmers, man, but of all the agents that I've spoken to, so many, I mean, there's not that many state farm agents. I don't know why, statistically. I don't know why. As I mean, Lord knows the state farm opportunity isn't that much different than the Allstate or the farmer's opportunity. But just anecdotally, in my experience, for some reason, there's more former Allstate agents that I've personally met and talked to than any other carrier. And it ain't even close. It's not close at all. The The number <laughs> of former Allstate agents is excessive. So right. I don't know what's going on there, but that's not for me to say because I don't have any, any <laughs> firsthand experience with that carrier. Everything I have is just, you know, an opinion, an anecdote that's from an outsider's perspective. So I'm not going to ask you to bash your former carrier. That would just be bad form. Um, but <laughs> I, I'd love to hear about the the transition. What was that like for you? And my next question is going to be on the IA side, you know, how, what do you attribute your success to? Because from what I can tell as, as a peer and colleague, you've had a pretty good 10 months. Like you've had a lot of success to be a solo operator doing this for less than a year to be where you are already. So go, let's talk about the freedom jump first, but that's my follow-up question. Yeah, for sure. So the freedom jump, um, Man, like I said, I was uh, so I was working for Allstate, um, and I think one of the reasons that Allstate agents not only do so well in the independent space, but they just have you see more of them is because of, and I do want to give them some a pat on the back, but it's that that training that you get um, within that um, mm -hmm. Allstate umbrella just like teaches you uh, like the sales process. You get to learn so much, some policy form, all that stuff that you get to learn helped me really uh, hit the ground running in the independent channel. So I would give a lot of uh, credence to their, their training program. It was really good, helped me a lot. Um, but the biggest reason I wanted to shift over to the independent space is, man, not only obviously the quote unquote freedom you get as a independent agent working with different carriers and stuff, but also just the, I feel like the reach and the impact could be a little bit bigger because you get your, um, your brand. So your opportunity to brand um, how you want to, you get your opportunity to uh, create kind of your baby, like what you want to create. And yep. you're not stuck under um, an umbrella of another carrier um, that kind of just like is, is bigger than you already. So they kind of swallow you up yep. uh, and do all the branding and that kind of stuff for you. So that was the biggest reason for my jump. And then as far as to get to your next question, the, the early success, man, the early success, I would say, has a lot to do with just the, the hustle and bustle, man, just grinding, yeah. um, being super prepared before 
the it happened. So going back to our preparation talk we were talking about, um, I did a lot of preparation before I just like bought an office and started selling insurance uh, for myself. I wanted to like prepare it, business plan, everything was really mapped out. Um, and then to not to pat you on the back too much, but you're that first four or five episodes you did, man, I went on a trip with my family right before I opened. Um, we went to Gatlinburg, Tennessee, for the people in the South know where that mm-hmm. is. Beautiful. Uh, we went to Gatlinburg, Tennessee, um, and on the drive, uh, my family was asleep, so I'm driving, and I'm, I'm listening to these tactical episodes that you have about this is what you need to do finance-wise. And obviously, it's all just you giving your perspective on if you could have went back, what you would have did different, and like what mm-hmm. you saw worked you um and i use that stuff man i don't think people understand the amount of free knowledge like obviously there's some great paid things that you can do to learn but the free knowledge man if you just listen to people who have done what you're trying to do mm-hmm. and then they talk about all the they literally tell you all the mistakes they made so you kind of just use that blueprint and just like use it but i feel like people don't use it. They just use it for entertainment and like, hey, I'm listening to a podcast. But you all say like some real good, concrete, tactical things in those podcasts that I kind of just squeezed in and used and uh, just try to technically learn from your all's mistakes, man. I think that was my biggest. uh, It's so smart, man. I mean, people people a lot smarter than me have said, you know, the most expensive way to learn is from your own experience. It's like, if I can learn from somebody else's mistakes, shoot, I'll take that every day of the week. It's like the cheat code to the test, man. Like you, you gave me some stuff. Yeah. I mean, and obviously there's a lot of, um, I call you all industry leaders, but there's a lot of people like you that uh, just like gave out free game is what I call it. They just give out the platform um, and they, if you can take it, you can. If you don't want to implement it, then don't. But I chose to implement it. Well, you stuff. know what I think about implement, baby. Oh, implement implement die, or baby. die. Come on. <laughs> implement or die. <laughs> no, that, it's... That's it. If you don't have implementation, you're wasting your time and you're kidding yourself. Honestly, it is really implementation is the whole thing. Uh, Otherwise, you're going to feel good about yourself, but the results will be exactly what they were before. And then it's almost like, you know, an inoculation, like you're getting like an immunization shot because you you get. You get that hit of dopamine because you tell yourself, oh, I'm going to do something. But then you don't actually do that thing. And then it drops off. And then the next time you go to do that thing, you're more predisposed to tell yourself, oh, I already did that. It didn't work. It's like, did you really do that? I don't think you did that. You didn't give it a go. You you told yourself you were going to do that, but there was no follow through. Too much so, planning. Yeah. You got to have implementation. I, mean, it, I could just as easily say execute or die, but... Execute is like a synonym for like dying, like an execution. It's like, I don't want to be like die, die, you know, like double die or some (laughs) weird thing like that. It's like, no, implement (laughs) or die. Yeah. Let's, I don't want to be the like super graphic, gory dude, you know, know, (laughs) have like a bloodstained t shirt thing going on. That'd be kind of weird. Oh, man. That's hilarious. But yeah, man. I mean, people, uh, you got to figure out, um, what you need to learn um, from the people that's that's teaching it, man, and that's what I did. It was a it was a huge blessing, honestly, uh, to just like stumble upon your podcast and stumble upon other podcasts and books that just have this knowledge just kicking around in them. And whoever wants to learn and get better will pick that stuff up and use it. 
So let's get real tactical for a second here. I'm just going to hold on. There's my button. Make sure it works correctly. I would love to, to ask some real specific questions like what in your first 10 months, like let's give some folks uh, that are a little bit behind you on the journey or maybe haven't experienced exactly what you're dealing with right now. Like even folks that have been doing this for a number of years can still learn from somebody that's in, in where you are in the life cycle. Because Lord knows you can make the same mistakes at multiple phases of your career for sure. Um, you know, what, what is one or two landmines that you have encountered uh, that you'd like to warn us about in, in that first year? Okay, yeah. Or so even just as, a, one, as a, an agency owner in general, not necessarily first year. Okay, so one, uh, the big thing is um, stick with it. I would definitely just say that right out the bat because you can get caught up in, um, which is something that I struggled with probably month one through four. Um, I was really struggling with... Uh, not putting my blinders on. So I had my comparison eyes, which um, comparison is the thief of joy is the truest statement I've, I've heard because yep. you see these, um, you see other agents who are just doing these, these crazy things and putting up these crazy numbers monthly and annually revenue wise. But then you like take away from all the stuff that you built, even if it's been one month or two months, um, and I started from scratch, so I, I guess I should have said that. So I didn't buy a book. I started from scratch. And like you said, it is just me. But I'm comparing myself to like agents with 20 years in the game, 15 employees, um, that kind of stuff. And that can really it can really mess with you. So my first the best advice I can give is kind of just put your put your blinders on and control what you can control and focus on you. Um, but some landmines that I hit, man, probably are just the the busy term. I get, I get in trouble a lot by being like super quote unquote busy and not uh, not doing doing the work that you need to be doing. So don't get that. Oh, I'm a owner of a business. So I got to do this. I got to do that. Do what you need to do to make the sales. Sales is what you need to focus on. Obviously forever. But that first year, sales. Yep. Whatever, like so. If it comes to marketing, like sales has some umbrellas, obviously, but sales is where you're focusing. Don't worry too much about your wording in your automated email. That's not really your issues right now. Your issues is just get as many sales as possible, and then let's build around what we've done. So, what I'm going to do for sure is after my first year, I'm going to look back and see what worked, and now I'm going to start getting super tactical on what worked. So. If the lender lead source is my number one lead source, I'm going to kind of cut out all the fat of the other stuff I've been doing and double down on lenders. Maybe reach out to more, take more to coffee or whatever the case is. Yeah. So that would be for me what I'm going to do. But that has been the biggest also obstacle for me is because, man, I got this thing where I think I'm super busy and then it's five o'clock and I'm like, man, I didn't get a lot as much done as I wanted to get done, but I felt like I did a lot. No. So that was part of my first land. And I know you would probably speak to that. Too. It's just like, man, I, I, I sent that, this email. You're, I sent you're so text, right. And it's like, you so really, that would be my it's, I mean, you and I had the conversation a few days ago. That's what sparked me to be like, hey, I need to get this guy on and co-host. And we were talking about calendar and you know mm -hmm. financial literacy. Uh, then that, that previous conversation you and I had. And I mean... I just hot take real quick. I absolutely hate the word busy. 
The word <sighs> busy to me is nails on a chalkboard. With somebody on my team or one of my friends or a client or a prospect, when they're like, oh, I'm so busy. Oh, I just don't have time. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm just so busy. Like, what does that mean? What does, what does that even mean? There's a thousand different interpretations of the word busy. What, what do you have a family member in the hospital? You got a big project at work? Is it like a heavy time of your kid's sports season? What does busy mean? You know, it, are you on social media? A yeah. Lot? Are you just on Facebook three hours a day and you should be working? So you're feeling crunched because you're not applying yourself correctly. Like what, what does that even mean? So the word busy is almost profanity to me. It's like, if yeah. I say, if I catch myself saying busy, it's like, mm, nope, not supposed to say that word. Pick a different word. Hey, my calendar is really full. Hey, my, my I've got a whole bunch of projects I'm working on this week. Hey, we're gearing up for a trip next week. Hey, uh, my kids' school season is really heavy, and I've got to prioritize other things. Like, there's so many different ways to communicate more accurately rather than using the word busy. You know, it, it's like it's like actual profanity. You know, profanity yeah. to me is. I'm not offended by it at all. I don't care about anything other than GD, which is like taking God's name in vain and like disrespecting God's name. Like that one bothers me, but literally every other word that someone can use, I couldn't care less about it. It, it just strikes me as laziness. It's like you chose to put that profanity in your sentence because you couldn't think of a word to better describe how you actually feel. Well, instead of being like, oh shit, it was like, well, wait a second. Hold on, pause, eliminate <laughs> profanity from that sentence and take a second and think, how do you really feel? Like use a word that accurately reflects your emotional state and your opinion. Like profanity is just a cop out. To me, the, like the yeah. word busy is no different than using profanity as a substitute for what you actually mean. It's like a rhetorical shortcut almost. It's like, right. stop, don't tell me you're busy. What's really going on here? Gotcha. So I know I, that that is a soapbox. It's a hot take. I get it. But I, I think that really has to be said because we we can't control what a prospect says. Right. You can't police someone's yeah. words in a prospect or a client conversation. But when you're dealing with your team or a friend or a family member or, you know, somebody, a channel partner, when someone says busy, like if you have rapport with them, double click. Hey. When you say busy, what does that mean to you? Help me understand. Like, get people to think, what does that mean? What does busy mean? There's a better way of describing yourself. Because if we get past busy, now we're really talking. Now we understand now where someone's head is. We understand what their priorities are. We understand what their anxiety is. We can connect on a human level. If you can get busy as a shield. Yeah, it's like, I want to keep you over there. I'm doing this busy. I know. People are annoyed at this point because I just spent the last seven minutes talking about the word busy, but whatever. Um, but you're right, man. I mean, I just feel like it is a cop out. And that's why I said it was a problem for me because I just felt like, man, I'm super busy. But you just want to be, uh, you just want to feel like you're, you're busy. So um, just to circle back to those agents, just please. Make sure that your day, you have a calendar, you understand what you're doing. You can end the day by looking back on your day and say, you know what? I did X, Y, Z, and that moved my agency just one step forward today. Mm -hmm. So that would be 
my biggest thing is just get yourself organized to know every day I'm going to do this and this is going to push us forward. Just get 1% better. So I agree. Now, and you and I had the conversation on calendar and you know, I, I was sharing with you how we made, recently made some adjustments to my calendar and my, my calendar is shared with the whole office. Everybody knows my calendar. They know the appointments that are on it. They know that I'm on this call with you right now. Like this call is on my calendar as, as something that is blocked out and 15 minutes before and 15 minutes after is blocked on my calendar because Lord knows I got other stuff that's going on that's going to need to be addressed immediately before or immediately after this call. So just the concept of you don't owe anyone anything. That email, and this is coming from, um, what is his name? Um, God, the book is um, Deep Cal Newport. Cal Newport is the author. The book is Deep Work. And one of the things that he talks about in that book is this concept that email in modern day, like everybody has this generally acceptable perception that unless you're a celebrity, you have to reply to every email that gets sent to you. Unless it's like a spam sales thing that you just goes to your junk folder and you never reply or some, you know, Chinese porn bot that wants to infiltrate your system with, you know, some junk or whatever. But if it's an actual person that's emailing you, you owe them a response to every email. And what that book Deep Work talks about, and and Cal Newport is a, a professor at MIT, and he's done a whole bunch of stuff uh, in in uh, neuroscience and you know psychology and and looking at the the science of work uh, and how all of that plays out. He was basically saying you don't owe anybody anything. You can reply if it serves your purposes to reply. If it's advancing one of your interests, your goals, or you know it's something that is from a personal connection that you have value and rapport with, by all means reply. But the notion that just because I email you and you and I have some sort of casual you know, interaction, that means that you owe me a reply, that's just absolute nonsense. You don't owe anybody anything. I feel like somebody out there, one, probably needs to read the book Deep Work by Cal Newport, but two, <laughs> somebody needs to hear that you don't owe them a reply unless it fits in with your uh, obligations for doing your job. If, you, if they're a client, if they're a channel partner, obviously you owe them a reply. But if it's just some person that you have some sort of casual connection with, you don't owe them anything. Reply if you if you want to. Reply if you feel like it. Otherwise, you don't owe them anything. And I feel like somebody needs to hear that today because that hit me like a bag full of bricks. Did you hear that virtual intelligence and on-hand VAs actually merge? That's right. I was talking to Michael Cruz and checking out what he has there with his Colombian workers. And I said to him, dude, what's up? You realize you're not a VA, right? He said, what do you mean? I said, you're a VE. Look it up on ChatGPT. I encourage you to do that too. He's got forward-facing VEs. VEs that can answer the phone and take questions 30 days in. You say yes to Michael. I want what you have. In 30 days, that's what he delivers. I said, Michael, this is unbelievable. We're strong in the front, but we're really strong in the back end. You provide the external VE for us. We provide the internal VE. I looked at him. I said, buddy, let's do this together. Let's let's do this. And he looked at me and he put out his hand and like a good solid Cuban American, he said, Jason, 
I'm committed, let's do it. And that's what we did. We flew to Columbia, we saw his operation, and you need to see it too. Give us a little click at Virtual Intel, that's with two L's, that's virtualintell.com. Go check us out, see what we're doing. High quality VEs mixed with technology, delivered right into your agency, and you don't have to do all the things that you don't like to do, like hiring, firing, recruiting, recruiting, trying to find processes. Just, there's so much stuff, I can't even say it right. That's right, Virtual Intel, cast certified. Yeah, I think a lot of people need to hear that. Just hear, I mean, just value your time. I'm sure we're going to get into that um, mm-hmm. throughout this uh, podcast, but value your time. Value what's what's valuable to you, and time is the, the most important thing we have. So don't just spend it frivolously, as my mother would say. No, yep. that sounds like a mother kind of word, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> spend it. Oh, man. That and snazzy. Like, I've never heard anybody yeah. other than my mother use the snazzy word. It's like, what does snazzy even mean, mom? Like, Where'd she get it? I don't know. That's, that's got to be like a 70s and 80s kind of word. Ooh, that's just snazzy. It's like, come on. What, what is that? <laughs> oh, man. No, where, where do you want to go, man? You said you uh, you had some things you want to talk about, and you're not an interview. E, you're a co-host, so hand the mic, man. What you got? What you want to talk about? Man, let's, uh, let's do it, man. Let's kind of um, – I just want to – help as many people in my position as possible. And I think by doing that, so for me, the biggest things that I'm trying to do right now is obviously going into year two, I want to scale, I want to grow. Um, So you mentioned um, earlier about your team and our differences, obviously you having a team and me not having a team. Um, So I think the most obvious way to pivot is kind of just talk about where you were when it was just you. And I know Mm -hmm. farmers, it was just you. Um, I'm not 100% sure, which you'll tell me in a minute, if when you started RiskWell, if you came with people or if you kind of got things going yourself. Um, So let's kind of, let's go there a little bit. Let's talk, what's the best way to kind of scale, grow your team um, going into year two? The first four and a half years at Farmers, I was a solo operator. Um, And then, uh, sorry. No, I didn't give Allison, my wife, credit there. We launched in because uh, she came on the team in August of 2015. Uh, so it wasn't four and a half. It was two and a half. The first two and a half years, it was just me totally by myself. And then Allison came on. She quit her job and came on the agency full time uh, in August of 2015. And then from there until uh, 2017, when she stepped away uh, to be a professional mom and have our son, at that point, we hired our first CSR, and Monique was her name, and she was wonderful. Had her for two years, and we she was there through the whole transition away from farmers of selling the agency and doing all of that. She was with me the whole time, and I, I told this this story earlier in the podcast. So for those of you that have been listening since the beginning, I apologize. I'm going to repeat myself here for a second. But we were set up. We had everything ready uh, for the new agency. We were literally were launching and opening our doors on Monday. And this happened the previous Friday. Uh, Brecklin, who was on our team, we, we, you guys have heard from her before. She was uh, interviewed in uh, episode, I think, 10, uh, 10 or 11. And uh, she was our first hire for RiskWell. For what became RiskWell, at the time we were called James Jenkins and Associates, 
small tail <laughs> law firm is yeah that's the name um, up, yeah. the, the website jjairm.com or as we lovingly call it around here jerm <laughs> it's like oh man worst website ever learning experience oh man you want to talk about like on the list of what on earth was i thinking that was the dumbest name but anyways i I digress um monique had a situation uh, where uh, personal circumstances required that she uh step away and she she left the area uh and had to leave our team like immediately with no notice and it was it was a, a a personal situation and we uh, we had already hired uh, Brecklin to be our front desk person, and I had to come to Brecklin on day uh, the Friday before she's supposed to start on Monday. And be like, hey, um, Monique's not on the team anymore, and the job that you were hired for doesn't exist, but this other job does exist. So what do you say? You want to come and join the team like we talked about? But I'm raising the bar and you need to get licensed ASAP and you want to play this game? Come on, let's go. And and she said, okay, sure, let's do it. And she was young and naive and had no idea what she was walking into. I had some idea of what I was walking into because I did it with farmers, but it was a very different game uh, the second time around, as we've already talked about at length in this podcast. Um, all the things. Brecklin was there from literally day one, but I had a, a team member who was like 22 and single and new to a professional office environment. And she just crushed it. She was the perfect team member uh, to start things with because she had a can do attitude. She was smart. She was driven. And without her, I don't know if risk well would be what it is today um, because she recently left the team permanently to be a professional mom and to go back and do some stuff in the education side of things uh, she's gone now and we are eternally grateful for her time on our team but that first we had her for six months when it was just she and i and just the two of us were literally everything we wrote eight hundred thousand dollars in premium uh, in that first year together, just the two of us. And then we hired our second full-time and third full-time right at the same time, like a second CSR and a full-time producer uh, about six months in. And then we hired the next one about six months later. And then it was just four of us for a while. And then in the span of a year, we hired three more people. And then since then, two more people. Um, and actually three, if you count the offer that we extended yesterday to uh, a full-time commercial CSR. Uh, so we're at uh, eight full-time now. If Brecklin was still here, it would be, it would have been nine, uh, but she left a couple of weeks ago officially. So we're, uh, we're back at eight full-time again. And uh, okay. consider yourself fortunate that you don't have to do the payroll because, yeah, it's, you know, it's <laughs> nice to be able to say, oh, I've got eight full-time people working here other than me. Yeah, but then payroll comes around and it's north of 40 grand a month. And I'm just like, ooh, yeah, I do have eight people here and I've got a lot of payroll. <laughs> so we got to make a lot of money just to make payroll. Uh, and thankfully we do. But uh, anyways, the order of operations for somebody who doesn't have a staff yet, 
It, the first one, I think, is probably for most people a virtual team member. It is someone to help with data entry, helping build quotes, helping prep PDF documents, helping with routine low-level service requests like vehicle and driver changes, helping process billing information and, you know, payments, you know, under the direct supervision of an agent, of course, because some carriers get weird about accepting money. Uh, they they don't want an unlicensed person handling a billing question uh, or something like that. I, I probably walk a, a, a fine line there because to me, the licensure is you can't talk about coverage. You can't make suggestions. You can't answer insurance related questions like something about a policy or a form or a claim or anything that is of a licensed nature. But service request, like clerical and admin stuff, all day long, man, a non-licensed person can do a lot to help an early stage agency. You don't necessarily need an in-person team member, in my opinion. A really good virtual team member or someone who's, you know, offshore, you get you know, a company like Savital or Coverdesk or Agency VA. And there's a lot of really good VA companies that can help manage the recruitment and training process. But a really good virtual team member can be solid gold for an early stage agency. 100%. And that was a big reason why I'm selfishly asked this question. Obviously, there's a lot of people listening, but selfishly I asked because I'm right in this mode of, I want to bring somebody on. I want to take some load off of my service, mm-hmm. um, what I do now. Um, so a virtual assistant, B-A-V-E, whatever you want to call it, yep. um, looks to be um, the best route for me to get my team started. Um, so, yeah, I asked that selfishly so I could hear you. Um, I mean, help you me. look at the cost benefit, man. It is so strongly in favor of a virtual team member is if you got a good offshore company, who or even a stateside company like Savital, you know Troy Thompson and Monica Adwani, uh, you know they're they're doing some really cool stuff over there. Um, uh, David Carruthers, who we all know and love, uh, he's in, involved uh, with the, their company uh, as an advisor or in, in some capacity helping them uh, build that thing. Uh, but that to me, having a really quality virtual team member company to assist with recruiting and onboarding and training and helping make sure that virtual team member is what you need, man, it's, it could be, depending on your market in the country, it could be half the cost of getting an entry level uh, person physically in your office. When you take into account, you know, W2 and all of the other paperwork and payroll taxes and work comp and the desk for them to sit at and a computer for them to operate dot, dot, dot. I mean, there's a lot that goes into having a flesh and blood team member here in your mm-hmm. office that that's not your responsibility if you have a virtual team member so yeah, I, th- I think many people i mean obviously hearing hearing you say that many people are going to take heed and understand that hey there's other avenues to building out my team or at least helping me until it's time to really bring somebody in in the office i think the virtual assistant man is the is the way to go absolutely i, I feel pretty strongly there yeah so we uh, and there's a million different directions we could go. What what else? Uh, what else was on your mind? I know you said you had some questions you want to jump into. Yeah, man, uh, yeah, I'm gonna be uh, be selfish for a little bit. Let's talk um, a little bit more just about 
your growth there. So as far as, and I heard you say this on a separate podcast. I don't want to say the wrong podcast. I don't want to shout out who that podcast was because I can't remember exactly. Um, but you were talking about cash flow and growth mm-hmm. and how our cash flow and scaling, whichever one you want to say, and how they don't necessarily, you can't do one and, yeah. and keep the other. It was Insurance um, Town with Heath Sheeran. Okay, perfect. And so for young agencies, young agency owners, how did you combat like, hey, we got to we got to grow this thing, but we also we have to pay the employees. We have to do certain things. I have to um, I have a family, so I got to yep. make sure I have enough. Like, how did you combat the cash flow versus growth battle at the beginning? Now, I'm pretty sure not to uh, speak for you, but I'm pretty sure you've got it under control. Mm-hmm pretty good now but in the beginning you know how it is i know you you start from scratch i did but i sold my farmer's agency and i don't mind being transparent i sold it uh, for a 1.9 multiple and once my subsidy and some debt that i had to the carrier uh was accounted for it was an effective multiple of 1.5 so i ended up with two hundred and twelve thousand dollars in the bank at the beginning of riskwell and by the time we signed a lease and bought furniture and computers and whatnot, by the time we actually started operating on day one, uh, we had about $140,000 uh, in the bank. And we used every penny of that. Uh, we, we were in the red for 17 months, uh, but month 17 is when it turned black, uh, where we were profitable from net revenue, from overhead, from paying myself. Um, month 17 is when we turned profitable. And ever since then, we've you know, blown up in a lot of other ways. The important thing to note is for my family, we had some really hard conversations of what do we need? What do we need, not want? And we're going to live well below our means for a few years. And we're, I mean, my compensation for K-1 distribution, we have a, I, I W-2 myself and my wife, okay. Allison, uh, for tax purposes, we W-2 and follow the IRS's recommended minimum W-2s for owners. Uh, but the majority of our income comes as a K-1 distribution uh, through uh, through the LLC. And uh, that's, you know, goes down on your uh, your income statement as a distribution of ownership assets. To an executive, so it, you know it's a line item on a balance sheet of distribution of profits and whatnot. But our our income as a family has stayed flat for three years. I haven't taken a raise in three years. So we have aggressively invested in the agency, uh, in payroll, in uh, having nice things here at the office of so giving, not getting a cheap computer. I'm not going to get the $500 laptop with its light on memory and has, you know, bloat on it. Like I, I get a $1,500 laptop that has great features, a fast processor, lots of storage, lots of memory, a good graphics card because people are running stuff on the laptop and I want to be able to run fast. Like I don't want somebody waiting on their computer. Like little things like not don't buy the cheap laptop, buy the really good one. You know, we mm-hmm. have uh, outsourced IT. Uh, I don't, I don't troubleshoot my system. I pay a local IT vendor almost seven hundred dollars a month for all of it. But we have like seventeen computers uh, between the office and and the laptop because my team works from home on Fridays, 
So every team member has a laptop and a work from home setup. So, I mean, that IT vendor handles literally everything. We need a new login, when we need, you know, a patch or a virus scanner, hey, I've got a problem with XYZ system. I'm not doing that. My time is worth more than what I pay the vendor. Because we did the math and my time is worth about $250 an hour. So am I going to spend an hour doing something? I better make darn sure that that thing that I'm doing is worth $250 or else I should be delegating or outsourcing that. Because that that's something that's not possible at the beginning. In the, in the first year or two, I did a whole lot of things myself. There you go. Because I had to, because there was nobody else. But the moment that I was able to convert and do the the time thing, and once time becomes more valuable than money, you really have to prioritize time over money. And that's a quotable right there. That's absolutely a quotable. The moment your time becomes more valuable than your money, you have to prioritize time over money. Because if you, if you don't, you're making a tactical error, in my opinion. Man, yeah, that's definitely a quotable because, and I think more so for people in my position, getting started, figuring it out, you you start to just take more inventory of your time when you learn, like, man, if I spend more time prospecting bigger commercial clients, then I will make more of a commission or a return on that investment than if I spend more time um, scouring for yeah. uh, personal lines, non-standard auto type stuff. Yeah. Then you get your return, so you start to realize, okay, what's my, where do I need to pinpoint my time? Or, well, I mean, uh, perfect example. Jennifer Wallace joined our team back on May first. Uh, she she came to me uh, and said, "Hey, I've been watching your stuff on YouTube." Uh, her her previous employer is actually a colleague of mine. It was a little bit awkward, um, but we navigated that. Uh, I'm very glad to have her on the team, but we. We brought her in as a commercial hybrid uh, inside sales and CSR with every intention of getting her support when it made sense. But we we brought her on May 1st and by a month ago, by a month and a half ago, she was at 85% of capacity because when she came in, it was like, hey, for the first time in my career, I have a full-time person in the commercial department that's not me. So I just took all this stuff and was like, hey, Jen, this is you. Hey, Jen, this is you. Hey, Jen, this is you. I tried to stay as much as I could on the CEO side of the coin and be the executive because for the first time ever, I had someone that was trustworthy, who was competent, who I could take stuff off of my plate and put it on her plate. So she's worth every penny that I pay her because what, what did she do for me? She gave me time back. She gave me an average of probably 15 hours a week of stuff that I personally delegated to her. And the the cool thing is the time that she gave me, I put to good use and I went out and did CEO stuff with that time to drive meaningful interactions with prospects and clients. And what's happened since then, we have brought on three big accounts that more than pays for her annual salary in the last three months. And those are things that I was able to generate through meaningful conversation and a couple of BORs and those sorts of things that wouldn't have happened had I not invested in someone to get stuff off of my plate. And the natural continuation of that is the the lady that we brought on, 
uh, and offered literally yesterday as we record this. Uh, she is a full-time commercial CSR, and she's going to help Jen and be Jen's pressure release valve in the same way that Jen was my pressure release valve. So it's like, oh, we hired Jen. I get to delegate some of my stuff to Jen. Jen said, hey, we're at that point. You told me to tell you when I felt like I was consistently at that 80, 85% of margin, you know, for a couple of months in a row. And I said, okay, cool. I'll go get you a CSR. And it turns out that she had somebody that she used to work with at a previous agency who was now at working at a USAA call center in San Antonio. And the, you know, this this lady, Carolyn, reaches out to me and was like, hey, Jen said you're great. I see you're hiring. I'd like to apply for your position. I'm like, you've already worked with Jen. Come on. So we yes, did we did our thing and, and all of that. And we offered her and she accepted. And she's going to start in September. But it's like, that's how hiring goes. You got to be really, really intentional with who you're bringing on. You got to have a very specific plan for what that person's going to do on the team so you know if they're doing what you need them to do. Right. And I want you to I want to go back real quick because you made an excellent point. I don't want uh, people to miss it um, because you dropped a lot of knowledge right there. But you made a really good point of when you got your time back. So when you bought your time back um, from the employees you hired. You said something really that I think people need to hear. You put that time to good use yeah. with your CEO hat. You didn't. And now not knocking people because everybody has different visions, which I think this is why the insurance industry is so good because success looks so different for everybody. Um, some people would buy that time back and go golf more or sleep in a little longer. But you bought that time back to go do more CEO things that will take your business yeah. risk well farther or closer to the moon where we're all trying to go. Um, so to me, I think that was a huge, uh, huge point that you made because you could have slept in, you could have did other things with your time. I mean, we all, like you said, we got families, you could have did more family stuff, which obviously you do. But the fact that you went and brought in more big accounts with that time that you had, like you said, you were able to pay for her salary and then you even took some time pressure off of her and brought in another person to back her up. So I think that key uh, was really key that you said. So I guess it all depends on where you want to take your business. Yeah. Um, you and me, same mindset of we want to be as big as we possibly can. We're not really trying to get in and sell and get out, but we want to grow this thing and, and build something. So I thought that was a really good point. I just wanted to yeah, re, man. Re bring up. You, you hit on a really important thing there. It, it is when you buy that time back, okay, what do you want to do with it? And you have a decision to make. That's the thing <laughs> that, that's the thing that's so important is we have to acknowledge it's the decision. And maybe you're looking for a lifestyle agency. Maybe you're totally okay having an agency with four team members and roughly a certain amount of clients that spends off $250,000 a year for you. Uh, as the owner of the agency, that after you pay salaries and overhead, you have 250 grand a year and you get taxed on it and it becomes, you know, 175 a year and you're cool with that. Yeah. And if, if that's your thing, absolutely. You do you. That's awesome. That is fantastic. Great life. Yeah, it's great. It has a good life. It's a lot better than yeah. most people. Uh, you're yeah. you're going to have freedom and flexibility and you do you. Go play as much golf as you want to. As long as you take good care of your clients and your team. For <laughs> oh, me, <we> will. <laughs> for Tamron, it's 
That's not what we're going for. Could I play golf three times a week? Yeah, I could. But my growth would suffer. We wouldn't be able to grow nearly as fast or, or as steep. I mean, our year-over-year growth through the end of, of July, through July 31st, was 69.8%. I'm just going to round up and call that 70. But we had a great 21 with 70% revenue growth over 21. And it was like, that only happens when every single person is dialed in. The crazy thing is, you look at, and I, I talked about this a couple of, of episodes, um, a few episodes ago, our our overhead, our payroll has 100% doubled from one year ago because we've added three people and everybody got raises. It's a 100% higher payroll uh, from a year ago. But our net profit, our net operating income is 131% higher. So wow. our, our payroll has deep. doubled, but our net operating income increased by 131% year over year. What does that tell That's me? Huge. That tells me everybody's operating at really high efficiency and people are getting stuff done and moving the needle in meaningful ways. So it's really important that I give my team as, man, as much props as possible because it's easy as the host of a podcast, as easy as somebody who's you know, getting invitations to come on stage and talk to folks now. It's really easy to get some sort of ego trip or hero complex and take credit for stuff. But I really can't take credit for a lot of what happens. It's nothing more than being a good steward and practicing good leadership and humility, finding the right people for the team, and then inspiring them and helping them just do what they do, like equip them, get out of their way and let them do their thing. Like, I'm the last person in the world who's going to hover over somebody's shoulder and micromanage them. Like, attract the right people, invite them to come on mission with you. And then equip them the way that they need to be equipped, give them the resources that they need, and then get out of their way and cut them loose and then see what happens. Because, oh man, if you get somebody who's inspired, who's got high drive, high capacity, and they've got the right resources, oh man, man, that's when the real stuff happens. Yeah, it's all, it's all culture. And that brings us back to our opening topic of team, like, and uh, to, to wrap that into what you're saying, like as a coach, like I look at you myself when I get a team, obviously, um, as as the coach of the team. And if you have players that enjoy their coach and do anything for their coach, most likely the product on the court or on the field or wherever you are is going to look better um, just based on how they feel about the coach, how they feel about the culture the coach is creating. Um, so I think that's a huge highlight on the sports sales slash insurance analogy that we made at the beginning. Man, we are almost at an hour. It happens so fast. Oh, yeah. But I wanted to make sure you had the opportunity to share any final thoughts here. You make an excellent co-host, man. You put me on the spot in a couple of good ways. Uh, yeah. That, that was fun. <laughs> yeah. No, so uh, as we land the plane, I'll, I'll just close with this, you know, what what is next for you? What are you working on? How are you trying to improve yourself at this point? Other than you know, get a virtual team member and start you know building the the folks around you so that you can scale and really stomp that gas pedal. Um, anything you want to wrap up with? Time's yours, man. I just want to keep. Uh, I want to keep learning. I want to be a 
lifelong learner. I feel like you can never, um, I know it's just a year, but I can never know enough, not only about insurance, which obviously is the main thing that I do, but learn enough. And you taught me this on our last phone call, just learning about financial stuff and maybe not becoming an expert, but just learning enough to where I know what I'm talking about with financials, with uh financial literacy when it comes to business financials and understanding profit and loss and that kind of stuff. So I can be a better business owner, better um, leader, better community leader. So just that would probably be the biggest thing that I'm going to take and keep growing with is just continuing to learn, learn from people like you, learn from people uh, like David Carruthers, which you mentioned earlier, and just keep taking in as much knowledge as I can and push this thing forward, man. Awesome. Love it, man. Hey, when anybody wants to get a hold of you, um, what's uh, what's the best way to reach out? What's your favorite social channels? Uh, uh, if you want to drop your email here, uh, if that's totally up to you. Uh, I'll put that in the show notes for you. Yeah. Best uh, best way to reach me, probably uh, Facebook is good. Um, it's just my first and last name, Tamron Manning, M-A-N-N-I-N-G. LinkedIn is good as well. I'm really active on LinkedIn. Also, the same way to contact me, Tamron Manning, on LinkedIn as well. Um, our agency is Integrity Insurance Group, so you'll see those posts uh, bounce around your feed every now and then. But yeah, those are the two best ways to probably just reach out and ask any questions you may have about my early journey. Or if you're going through the same thing I'm going through, feel free to reach out. Awesome. This has been fun, man. I appreciate you making time uh, for us today and uh, being our second ever co-host. And shout out to you, Ciara, for being the first Gosh, six months ago. That's crazy. Um, this was great, man. I really appreciate it. And that's the end of another episode, boys and girls. He is Tamron Manning from the great state of Kentucky. And this is the Agency Freedom Podcast. Make it a great day and y'all take care. Catch you real soon. Are you looking for an insurance community to join? Have you heard of the LAAIA? The Latin American Association for Insurance Agents is just not for Latins. Their focus on diversity and inclusion over the last few years has made this 54-year-old association one of the fastest growing and the most dynamic associations in the industry. With established chapters in Florida, Houston, Dallas, Atlanta, and Denver, it's no surprise this association has the attention of everyone in this industry. Their upcoming national convention on beautiful Marco Island includes keynote speaker Trisha Griffith, the CEO of Progressive. National leaders from around the country like Marshberry, Vertifor, Lula, and more will be here on center stage as well. And whether you're an independent agent, a captive agent, life or health agency, or even a financial services professional, this association offers you everything you need to network and grow your business. Make sure you check them out and consider joining me, Jason Cass, at the next upcoming convention. It's going to be August 21st, the 24th, at the JW Marriott on stunning Marco Island. This has been Cass Approved. Thanks for listening to the Agency Freedom Podcast. Please subscribe to AFP on your favorite platform to get automatic updates with every new episode and help other people find us. If you like what you hear, please drop us a review and tell the world what you like best. Most importantly, please share AFP with someone you know who is still in captivity. They'll thank you later. Visit our website at agencyfreedom.com to get access to exclusive content and announcements. 
Join our community on Facebook by typing in Agency Freedom in the search bar. Send your questions, comments, guest recommendations, and favorite grilling recipes to us at podcast at agencyfreedom.com. This is the Agency Freedom Podcast, where we help insurance professionals move from captivity to freedom. Until next time, let's go. Let's go.